Welcome back to Two Pastors and a Mic. My name is Corey. And I'm Shanik. And we're so thankful for all of you who listen. You might think I sound like a broken record when we intro every episode this way, but we hit nearly 8,000 views over the last, what, 11 months? Yep. And that is insanity. Yeah. And last week was our most listened to week we've ever had on the podcast. So yeah. thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And please and share. Sharing. Do, do a review if you haven't already. We appreciate all that feedback. We've been loving the conversations that this has provided, not just with us, but conversations with other people that have shared it with their friends. And yeah, we continue, yeah. continue to do that. We appreciate it. We love yeah. it. We appreciate it so much. So question of the week, what is something that you're doing for Christmas this year that you've never done before? What do you well, think? What are it, you doing? This is crazy because... We live in the Louisville area. I've never taken my kids to the caverns to do, uh, I think mega it's called caverns. the mega cavern. I think it's called lights under Louisville, yep. which I, we've lived here nine years and we've never done this. It's almost like I've never been to Churchill Downs, which I probably should. That's a wait. You've never been to the track, dude. I've never been to the track. Oh, and you've never been in the casino boat. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes, look. I have. Oh, okay. Story for another day. <laughs> you can't share that. No, it's okay. But yeah, I've never been to Churchill Downs. I need to. I've lived here nine years and everybody comes in for the Derby and I've never even gone. Oh, wow. But yeah, I'm taking my lights kids to the lights under, under Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. And Dude, it's awesome. Pumped. And I remember going several years ago with my kids. So you definitely need to make sure that you make that happen this year. It's awesome. I don't know if I'll ever get back because just to put this little plug in there, uh -oh. I don't know what time you're going, but I know when we went, it was the evening. And I think we waited like two hours in the car yeah. with a bunch of kids driving us crazy before we get there. Now the experience is amazing. And now that I went through it, make sure you go during the day because you're in a cave. Are. So yeah. it doesn't matter it doesn't if it's matter. night outside. Yeah. That's so, what we're doing. Yeah. Do that. I think for me, speaking of lights. So this, here's something that I'm doing this year that I've never done, at least as a dad, it's kind of in reverse though. I'm actually not putting out Christmas lights this year for the first time in 15 years since I've been a dad. Didn't you buy a bunch of stuff last year to put on your house too? I bought a few. I've been like, you know, adding collecting. to my collection. And so I got a big bucket of a bunch of stuff, but that's so lame. Why aren't you doing it? I'm just like ball humbug this year, man. I just don't want to go put out lights. You are the Grinch. Well, here's the thing. You know me, like I have this, like a little bit of OCD. I'll say that, but also like this spirit of excellence that I want to, um, make things just amazing. And my lights are kind of just like, blah. Yeah, you do a trash job. Yeah. You well, should have me come up and we'll do it next year. Yeah. Or you should and do you what can put some two different types do. of lights on my house like your house. I don't have two different types then of lights. you try to match I it. I, I drove by it your house yesterday. I took it down. Did you chunk. really? Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> I Because <fixed that. laughs> I saw it because I took Austin by to show him your house and where you live just hanging out in the neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, Corey's got icicle lights. There's a whole strand that's not icicle. What's he doing? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, don't do. you? Right yeah. above the garage. Yeah, I, I changed that. Okay. I lost that. Uh, well, you have me thrown <laughs> up. I'm so rattled right now. <laughs> what are we talking about this week? I so mean, uh, last week we talked about rapture theory. I think we had a great conversation. But talking about the rapture, we always kind of get asked this question. And we did get asked the question. So because of what we heard about your thoughts on the rapture, do you guys believe then Jesus is going to come back or not? And so I think today, yeah, we're just going to talk about that, which ultimately I believe we have to start with the conversation around eschatology, which all that means is it's just the study of end times or end time prophecy. Yeah. And so I, I, I remember for me just reading, even in Christianity today, 
um, this article in 1987 that came out. Uh, the title of it was Our Future Hope, Eschatology and Its Role in the Church. But this article just talked about how eschatology is one of the most divisive elements in recent Christian history. This article stated that few doctrines unite but also separate Christians. There's been few doctrines as much as eschatology. Yeah. And eschatology, we're not going to spend a whole episode talking about eschatology. If, if you didn't know, like the study of the end times, this kind of freaks people out, especially uneducated people on this topic. But there are, in the academia world, there are four accepted views, and they all differ. And so a lot of people get dogmatic about eschatology. And even though I have a preference that I align with of these four views, you still have to take an account that no one really knows. And so these four views... Uh, again, are ex accepted in academia. We'll, we'll go through them real quick. The first one is uh, the historical uh, eschatological view. It, this is a method of interpreting prophecies by tying symbols with historical people and or nations or events. An example of this is like, okay, the Pope uh, or Islam, uh, they're the Antichrist. Even though the Antichrist isn't a specific person, it's any one of us at any time can act like the spirit of Antichrist when we accuse people. The second one is futurism. This is the predominant view that's held by people in the church today. Right. Uh, and we can thank the Left Behind series over the last 30 years that really popularized this. Most people in the churches believe this without even knowing that they believe this. The Bible tells uh, about future events. So this is all three of these fall under this specific one because I'll get asked all the time, what are you, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Right. And all of those fit into the eschatological view of futurism. Right. And when we say those things, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, that's tribulation because a lot of people with the futurism view do have an ideology or a theology around rapture. And then after that, did Jesus necessarily rapture the church out? And then the this tr great tribulation is going to take place. Is yep. he, is it during it yep. or is it after it? And and that's all that really means. And then Jesus is going to come back and set up some millennial reign, which if you actually study out millennial <laughs> reign, do you know, and this is maybe for those of you that might have a viewpoint of a millennial reign. And I just recently found this out that in the millennial reign, they are going to establish back animal sacrifices. Yep. So that should cause you to kind of question what it is about the millennial reign that you might be looking forward to. Yep. But anyway, that's just something to do with futurism. Yeah. And a lot of people even debate in that, what, what are you? Yeah, right. I, I can't stand that conversation. The third one is idealism. Uh, this is one interpretation, but has many applications. So it's a non-literal approach. Um, just like an example of this is they'll say like, nothing in Revelation is literal, nothing at all, even though there's a mixture of both. Uh, and then the last one is preterism. This is overwhelming view. This view is overwhelmingly embraced by scholars and educated people in academia that, that teach on this stuff. Uh, it simply means the past, it's understanding events that were written for the people of the time, their future, but when we read it, it's our past. And this is an example of, what just one example of this is understanding the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which we've talked about in a lot of episodes in the past. And again, there's different sub-levels of this. Some some people that embrace this theology will say they're partial preterists because they still believe in certain things and whatnot. But those are the four eschatological views. Again, all four are right. accepted. And that's, and that's the point we want to make that no matter what your viewpoint on it is, we want you to know that it's not the only viewpoint that's out there. All four of these are accepted in uh, the Christian academic world. Like mm -hmm. 
And all four of these can have different verses and do have different verses, scripture, context for why they hold to one of these views. And I think the main thing is, as we're going through this, is to realize that just because someone might have a different view of end times, right, their their eschatology is different than yours, that necessarily does not make them wrong. Right. It doesn't make them less than. And that's what happens or in <laughs> religion, because you think you have the insight on something that your view is absolutely right. And then thus you put yourself in a place of position as superior to someone else. And, and that, that actually is not what Jesus would have us do. Yeah. It's not helpful either. Yeah. And so, and basically because of that, here's what I love. I think last week we brought about this quote, it was um, Nathan Camacho and he actually said this, and I love this. He says, inaccurate eschatology causes believers to wait for a king who already reigns, wait for a kingdom they're already in, wait to become what they already are, wait for power that they already have, wait for an age that they're already in, wait for victory that's already been won, or wait to do what they should already been doing. Yeah. And so it's a responsibility piece. Yeah. And and my personal preference on this, I'm not going to tell you exactly which view because I don't want to be that kind of dictator that like, hey, you should follow this view and here's why. Now I am critical about some, but I personally will not embrace any eschatological view that diminishes hope, promotes fear, or most importantly, re-empowers a disempowered devil. And so when you look at these topics of eschatology, again, understanding this is the prep, we had to talk about this just briefly, because this will kind of shape what people believe about rapture and times, ultimately yeah. the second coming. Is Jesus coming back or is, when he's coming back? And they'll, they'll, all those questions we get. Yeah. And and so when you're looking at eschatology, that book, the book Revelation, which a lot of people are very scared about, and we gave a lot of people, uh, well, not a lot of people, we gave you all last week, a lot of information on people who have spent their life studying this and teaching this. Again, I don't want to spend a ton of time unpacking the book of Revelation. I don't even think we need to spend episodes talking about Revelation or unpacking it because guys like Dr. Lynn Hiles have already done that on YouTube. And But real briefly, if, if you don't know, the book Revelation literally means um, an unveiling. That's what the word means. It's an apocalyptic literature which uses symbols, hyperbole, metaphors, and imagery. This was a very famous um, writing style. writing style in 1 AD to 1 BC, so like three centuries like people, this was a very popular, um, yeah, writing style. Um, I love what theologian and scholar Gordon Fee says about the book of Revelation. He says, Revelation is subversive literature, basically telling the Roman empire that their days are numbered. And so one thing, what we have to understand specifically about the book of Revelation, and this is where anybody's belief on the book of Revelation about what it is comes down to this argument is when was it dated? Because there are two different camps and both camps dictate ultimately how they interpret the book of Revelation and how they understand eschatology, the end times. It was either dated in 95 or 96 AD or before 70 AD. Right. And I really believe that it was dated before 70 AD because I just actually use a few scriptures out of Revelation to tell me that. Matter of fact, you can go right now to Revelation chapter 11 and start reading. And John was told to go and measure the temple. Mm -hmm. And so if he's measuring the temple, that means that the temple has to be there. Well, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. There was not one brick left upon another. 
So if he was told to go measure it, if it was after 70 AD, he couldn't have measured it because it wasn't there anymore. Yep. And so that just right away is like, okay, this, this to me, and again, it's debated the other side too, but to me, that just is so obvious and it's right in your face and it had to be there. Yeah. So this has to be before 70 as, AD. As well as in Revelation 19, it, that's when they crown Jesus as king. So if that's in our future, then right. you currently cannot worship yeah. Jesus or as a king. Or he's not already crowned king? Is that, I mean, yeah. yeah. You cannot worship him as king because wow. he doesn't get crowned until Revelation 19. And if Revelation 19 is in our future, he's currently not king. I have a major problem with that statement, you know? Right. In fact, the church father that believed that Revelation was written in 95 and 96 AD is a church father, Irenus. I think that's how you say his name. He also had a bunch of crazy dates. He believed that Jesus's earthly ministry was 30 plus years and wasn't crucified until his 50s. And so there's a lot of things from Irenaeus that he offers the church history that are very good. There's also some other things, specifically his dating, that is very skeptical and people have issues with as well as with this dating. So that's really important to understand. Yeah, it is. And I really want to just stay real quick with this idea that Revelation is apocalyptic literature because a lot of people will try to also literize the entire thing. Or earlier we talked about idealism where it's all uh, symbols or all just... um, metaphors and none of it's literal, but there's also the opposite as well. And so that's where a lot of the the futurists get, get a lot of their viewpoints because they do take a lot of it literally, mm-hmm. but it's, it's very important what you pick and choose what is literal and what is not, because if everything is literal, then one day we're all going to be up in heaven worshiping a little white woolly creature. Yeah. And I love that. That's what Jamie always goes to, to say, Hey, there's got to be some apocalyptic metaphor, symbol, language in here for you to understand. Yeah. So Augustine, he said this, when interpreting the Bible, you should be done, or it should be done with the rule of love, meaning anytime we find something in the Bible that isn't consistent with love, then it should be interpreted figuratively. The book of Revelation should only be included in the canon of Scripture if it is, if it is not interpreted literally and never used to predict, to predict the future. Right. And so just a little bit of food for thought. So if Jesus, think about this, in the book of Revelation, looks different than the Jesus presented in the Gospels, then maybe we're misinterpreting the book of Revelation. Yeah. And I'm just going to say that one of the things I was even a little fearful of growing up is, was the Jesus that I was preached about uh, or was preached to me about in in regards to he's coming back on a white horse, robe dipped in blood, and he's coming back with a sword and he's leading armies to kill a bunch of people. Right. And I'm like, wait, this is the same Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. This can't be right. Yeah. People call him Rambo Jesus. Right. And they're like, oh, let's not just remember that Jesus was a lamb. He's also a lion. He's coming back like Rambo. And it's like, man, if, if Jesus is coming back like Rambo, he's not God. Because the God that we know in the Bible is Jesus, and he laid down his life for his enemies, not come back to kill him. Right. And you should question that. And in fact, that metaphor that was used about Jesus with his sword dipped in blood, the blood is his, not anybody else's. And so that should really make us question when we study these things out. In fact, the best advice that I've ever personally received on the subject of studying eschatology and revelation comes from Jamie, where he says, when there are many different types of interpretations, pick the one that looks the most like Jesus. And I think that's the safest place to be. Right. Which all of this, that was just a brief overview right. of eschatology <laughs> and revelation. I know that was a lot. You might have to go back and listen to it a couple of times. That kind of leads us to today's conversation of, okay, if rapture theory, and we talk about that last week, if you missed it, you should go back and listen to the episode. Then is Jesus coming back? And 
I want to be very careful around this subject because I've been in ministry long enough that people will crucify you not for what you say, but what they think you're saying. And before we get into this, I want to I want to just share this disclaimer because I want you to know I'm coming about this and, and very sensitively. I, I've gotten a lot of um, older people, wiser people's opinion on how we're going to approach this subject. But this disclaimer is people will often fear that which they do not understand. However, it still shockingly amazes me how often people will oppose things because either A, they've never heard of it, or B, it sounds differently than that which they'd previously believed or had been taught. And so the real question that we need to talk about is, is how can you oppose any ideology or any topic on this podcast that we've talked about over the last 40-something episodes, how can you oppose that which you've never considered, studied, or truly examined? And so my personal answer, is Jesus coming back? Uh, I don't know currently. I, I do leave room. I do believe that there there could be a possible return because Acts one eleven yep. says, it talks about him coming back um, just like he left, right? The angels said that he would come back in the same way that he left his ascension, which kind of means that it's got to be a physical return. Yeah. But I had there. I have a lot of critical yeah. thoughts. So, about so from this. the episode last week, I've had someone specifically ask me that. Oh, wait. So it sounds like, based on your viewpoint, then of the rapture theory, then do you not believe then that Jesus is going to come back one day? Mm-hmm. And how I answered that was exactly what you just said as well. I actually told them, "Well, no, I, I do still leave room, and yeah, I believe that he might come back again." But we're going to go into it. There's a lot of questions to consider, I, and I yeah. actually just unpacked a few of these for them that I want to unpack with you today, yeah. um, because it does leave some critical questions. If he is going to come back, like the first one is, where would we physically put him? Meaning, where would he live? Yeah, you know, like, is he going to live in Israel? Is he coming? Is he going to live and have a place and a house in America or in Europe? Like, well, probably not America. <laughs> well, where would he live? Exactly. That's the first question. And then number two, I would always say like, okay, would I ever have access to him? Or would you ever believe if he did return that you would have access to him? Think about it. There are 8 billion people on the planet right now. Like Is it eight. I thought it was seven. Maybe okay. seven. Maybe okay. both. Let's say six. Who cares? Getting Let's say there. it's three billion. No, Let's say it's defi- one billion. It's definitely seven billion. Okay. So L- if, at least if he were to give everybody just like 30 seconds of their time of his time, let's say, man, he wouldn't even get to like 5% of the population yeah, before it, everybody would have died off. And it's then 1200 years. Did we do the math? Like something. it would take 1200 years for every person <laughs> on the planet today to get 30 seconds with right. Jesus face to face in physical bodily form. Right. So if you're not going to get that time, why are you spending time now worried about it? Yeah. It like when you critically think about it, it, it doesn't make much sense. And again, that, that, that second one, like, why would I think that I've, it's kind of like arrogant to believe that you would have time with him. You know, no, the third, here's another critical thought is, how how can Jesus return when he never left? Hmm. I mean, he lives in you and I. He gave us power to change the world in his name. And so, and I get it. Okay, yeah, a physical return. We don't have a physical Jesus. But, but do we really not have a physical Jesus? Because he's empowered humanity to be the physical Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus on the planet. So have you ever thought about the fact of like, yeah, like how can he return if he never left? Number four is... Jesus, okay, let's quote Jesus himself. He said that it was better that he left so that he could send the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7. Right. So 
if the Holy Spirit is alive and active in each and of and every one of us, it wouldn't make sense for him to come back from this right. critical perspective. Right, because if he had to leave so that the Spirit would come, does that mean then if he were to return that the Spirit is then going to leave? And and then, yeah, like, okay, so I haven't heard this said very often recently, but when I was growing up, I heard a lot of people say, man, I wish we had Old Testament faith. Like, I wish I had the relationship with God like David did or like Moses. And I'm like, they all long for what we have. They never had the spirit right. of God living in them at all times yeah. permanently, regardless of their behavior. Like we have access to the King of King and Lord of Lords at all times, right. at all times. Yeah. Abraham, David, Moses, all of them right now would say, man, I wish I had the faith that Corey has. I wish I had the connection right. with God that Corey has, because you have the spirit and you are a man, in union, in union, one with God right now. And they didn't have that. Yeah. So they long for what we have. But okay, let's say, let's use the words. Jesus said better. It was better that he wasn't here physically. Right. That a lot of people, that might be a wake up call to you to be like, oh my gosh, you've been, you've been waiting and wishing for a physical yeah. Jesus to be right next to you before yeah. you got your life in order. When the physical Jesus leaves, yeah. lives he in you. He did say, it's better that I go. It's better. So why would we want him to come back? You yeah. have the spirit of God dwelling within you. Here's a, here's a fifth one. If he did return, majority of us wouldn't believe it anyways. Hmm. Think about it. I don't want to assume, and I'm speaking for myself. Okay. I don't want to assume that I would believe it because, uh, many people didn't believe him the first time in the first century. Think about it. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't think that it was the Messiah. They were waiting on somebody else because Jesus looked different than the, than what they thought he was going to be. And so why would I assume that anybody claimed to be the Messiah, even if they were doing great works, why would I, I believe that it really was the Jesus? So many of us would be skeptical. I can't tell you how there would be uh, newscasts and created yeah, Instagram accounts, yeah. all kinds of, hey, check out this dump. <laughs> no one would believe it. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so there's just some critical aspects. Again, I'm not saying that he's not. I do leave, I do leave room in my theology and understanding that he could. Yeah. But I think this conversation, it it actually is one of my favorite things to have, uh, this conversation to have like with somebody face to face, because what you believe about this is really telling with the power that you currently believe you have. And I think so many Christians, it, it actually is a pet peeve of mine to talk about, you know, when we hope for the return of Jesus, um, it's often because we're disappointed and not satisfied with what we have and what we've experienced. You know, I was taught that the best part of Christianity happens either when Christ returns or when we die. And I believe that that is a terrible interpretation and understanding of Christianity. I believe one of the reasons why Christians are obsessed to talk about Jesus physically coming back is because we haven't seen what it looks like for Jesus to live through us on the earth. And so I get really upset when people always talk about oh, I can't wait when Jesus comes back and perfects everything. Or, oh man, we just need to, you know, pray and just wait for Jesus to come back. When I personally believe that Jesus is up there waiting, like I gave you every power to meet the needs of the homeless, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to love humanity well, because I'm so in love with them. Like, why aren't you loving humanity well? And so I think this conversation is more of a distraction from responsibility than right. it is helpful. And if he comes back, Great. Let's all celebrate. I do leave room for that. I hope you hear right. that. I leave room yeah. for that. But I have a, a lot Same. more critical opinions about the specifics around that. And I think it's a waste of time to focus on it 
because we have power now. He's alive and active in you and I. Man, I love what you just said. And I'm the same. I do leave room for it in my theology, but I also love what this dude, his name is Jim Palmer. I love how he says it. He says, we've been waiting on Jesus for 2000 years now to return and save the world. And we will be waiting another 2000 years if we don't shift our mindset. The transformation of the world is not going to fall down from the sky, but be lifted up from our hearts. Man, that is so good. And it speaks to our responsibility. And I love, um, I believe it's first John that it says, um, as he is Jesus, as he is, so are we now on this earth. Mm -hmm. And so really people should encounter Jesus every single day as they encounter him through us. Man. And so as we are following point. his example, people do get to meet necessarily the Jesus the in risen us. Jesus. He's in you. Every single time somebody encounters you, they should be encountering Jesus because that's the revelation of what and who Jesus is in you. I, I love that. I love that. The transformation of the world is not going to fall down from the sky, but be lifted up from our hearts. As I believe that it's time for us to pick up the responsibility of making our home more like earth or making our earth more like home, like bringing heaven to earth, impacting people. We talked a lot about this in our transformation or transition series that we did a couple episodes ago, but there's a lot more information yeah. on this. You know, um, I think his name is uh, Keith Giles. He, he writes a whole understanding of the slow motion second coming of Christ, talking about how there's multiples and, and it's ongoing and it's forever through us. Um, Dr. John Noe, again, on his YouTube channel, he talks about how many comings of there are Jesus. Like, and he goes through all the scriptures of, it's not actually a second coming. Second coming is not in scripture. Right. It's so final coming is not even in scripture. And he unpacks all of these about how he's constantly moving and interacting with humanity on a, on a daily and regular basis. And it's time for us to wake up and recognize that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, just real quick. So Jesus, right, lived, he died, and then he resurrected. So technically, he already did yeah. come a second time, Yeah, <laughs> you know, as the risen king and as the risen Christ. But what I love and how I think we're going to end this episode is about this responsibility piece that we have to be Jesus in our world. Matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 puts it this way, and it's one of my favorite verses. It says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Yeah, That's our job. And how did Jesus live? He lived loving. And that's the command we're under, to love as he loved us. And speaking of that, just remember, you're loved and there's nothing you can do about it. 